0: And welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio once again is Carmen Rita Wong, the author of Why Didn't You Tell Me, a memoir. She's also written Never Too Real and Never Too Late, and she heads up Malicon Productions, a company focused on women-led content. Carmen, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back, Danny. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled. I mentioned to you before we went on the air that we we got a lovely little burst of letters after your last appearance of people saying, please, please set me up with with Carmen. <laughs> um and I didn't. Sorry, everyone. But okay. it's always nice when people express general warmth and interest in your existence. So Oh my goodness, uh, that's wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we you're it. gonna have to work a little harder if you want to oh. go on a date with Carmen. Okay. <laughs> you can't just email me and say <laughs> I'm done. She is, you know. The, the bar is higher. Email more people.
1: Danny, did you did your job already. You had me on. Like, you don't have to do any more work. You know what I mean? I Find I never me.
0: want to do more work. So Find that, me. That fits Same. Beautifully. Also, I have to finish my book this week. So I really don't want to do more work. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Good luck. I you got, got this. to have the best experience of all, which was at the beginning of September, I got that email from my agent that said, hey, where's your book? And I said, <gasps> I thought it was due next month. And she said, no, I'm pretty sure it was due this month. And I said, I really feel like we had a conversation where we said October. And she said, maybe we did and didn't write anything down. I'll see what I can do. And everyone said, you can have October. So, All right. There
1: you go. That's excellent.
0: So excited. And it's actually going great. But it is, you know, not ideal to be getting Mm -hmm. emails like that saying your book should be done. Yeah, that's instant panic attack. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you've kind of in the back of your head been thinking, I should probably double check if uh, my general sense of the deadline being sometime in October is what's actually in the contract. Because I could just yeah, read what, that. Yeah, and they usually don't there? write sometime in uh, October. They yeah. usually put like a regular date in there.
1: Well, I, I just sold my next book. Congratulations. And I was ve- thank you so much. And But you, as you know, these things take a long time. So it'll be out in a couple of years. But I had to sit there and just be really be like, okay, this is the date, even though it may be a month before. It may be a month after I get it to you, but I'm going to do my best.
0: Yeah. You do your best. And, you know, again, it's close. It's close. I'm doing great. But also, boy, they sure just did tell me a date and I just should have written it down in more places.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, now you got the time.
0: Now, so there you go. Exactly. So after this, it's right back to the minds. Um, And actually, in the interest of time, I should start reading our first question because I still have a couple chapters to go. Okay. So our first one. Uh, you know, a a not uncommon sort of question. And I think what's going to be most useful here maybe is thinking about to what degree is it useful to think of your relative here as a person who is being radicalized versus a person who is choosing to become more radical. Mm -hmm. Um, And not that you, you would just definitively assign a person one category or the other and say that's who you are forever. But I think that might be useful rather than um people do sometimes sort of talk about like I lost a relative to Fox News or or conspiracy theories and while I do think there's some there's some truth to that it's it's also a, a little bit I don't want to say of a cope but it's a little bit of a way to sort of soften the sadness of the loss and I think sometimes what's just true is uh, someone I love uh has values that I find really repellent and over the years they've become more attached to those values and it ended our ability to be close And that's sad, but it's not quite the same thing as like a big monster came and stole the person I love.
1: Yeah, because then there's no responsibility to that person. And so key, right, is assigning that responsibility. I know I've had to deal with this in my family, and it's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, so with that sort of preface uh, out of the way, uh, I'll go ahead and read this. The subject is one note and off-key conversations. My cousin Caleb is sliding far right. He's always struggled with anxiety and panic disorders, and in his late 30s, he can't keep a consistent job and lives with his parents. Still, he's bright, creative, and funny, and I talk to him often while playing video games on a Discord server with several mutual friends. Caleb has always had a problem with sexist behavior. We were raised Christian, and he never broke away from the homophobia, sexism, and general conservative values of our church. He said plenty that has offended me in the past, but I always felt like we could talk about it and he would at least hear my arguments, especially as a female relative of his. Recently, Caleb has escalated to arguing in favor of right-wing conspiracies, and his demeanor is getting more intense. He references conservative YouTube videos about feminist plots to oppress straight white men. He seems to believe that racial minorities are the reason he struggles in life. I'm not the only person in our Discord group who is often offended by his comments, but we all try to respond thoughtfully and sincerely with the hope that our differing perspectives can help him. It's getting to the point where my friends want to leave to get away from him, and I don't blame them. I want to kick Caleb out of the Discord, but I'm worried it's his only connection to people who aren't hateful online conspiracists. Personally, I don't want to abandon him as my family member, but I'm also not sure how much more I can tolerate. Is there anything I can do to help deradicalize my cousin before he's too far gone? Is the solution more tough love confrontations, Gentle pushback and logical arguments or just cutting my losses and ignoring him. Has anyone had success in getting their loved one back from the YouTube algorithm? Hmm. So I, I think two things that felt important to me to start with was one, the letter writer mentions she's a woman and that a lot of what Caleb espouses is pretty intense, like misogyny and sexism. So you know, I don't want to err too far on the side of, like, he's going to be hiding outside your front door with a weapon tomorrow. But I do think at least when it comes to anything like tough love, I would want this letter writer to keep her safety in mind. And if he's, like, bringing up a lot of conspiracy theories, he believes that, like, feminists are generally out to enslave men, and he says a lot of sexist things consistently, you know, look after yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, don't necessarily try to go fully tough love if you are at all worried that he's going to get like physically intimidating. Yeah. So I would just I would just put that out there again not like he's one step away from trying to physically fight you just be safe. And then the other one is as I mentioned in the beginning this idea of can I get my loved one back from the YouTube algorithm? I don't want to downplay the role that anything like online radicalism, a radicalization or algorithms could have played in this process. But you do say letter writer that he's never broken away from like homophobic and sexist values of your youth and that he has always had a problem with sexist behavior. So I think what we're talking about is this has gotten a lot worse over time, but there was never a time when you and Caleb shared values about feminism or men and women and respect. And I think that's pretty important because um, that says something about What he truly values or like what his sort of default earlier positions were. So if he were suddenly to become not even like a feminist, but just like a sort of feminism neutral person, that would be new for him. That would be something he was doing for the first time rather than a return to somebody that he used to be.
1: That's what stood out for me, Danny. Like I I was like, well, but you said that he was always like this. He never broke away, right, from the misogyny and the homophobia. So when she says he's sliding far right, it feels to me that he has always been far right. It's just now that there's so much media out there that he can glom onto. But what would really struck me with this one is Danny is coming from the fact that she's, she's she identifies a female and she's she's has this caretaking role. It sounds like probably this is a younger cousin, and. I'm very familiar with that role. And it's that feeling that it's your job to keep family members together or to keep families, you know, people in orbit, even if they go completely against who you are as a human being. And I, I know, and I've had to struggle with this, of course, in the past couple of years, especially. It's wonderful, even though it's painful to kind of split off from family because you have to, because you share nothing in values, and actually they can also potentially be harming you with abuse and and other things, you can have some peace in knowing that, you know, to your point, if you confront, I put confront in small quotes because like you, I worry about confrontation. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you find a way to communicate to him, you know, Caleb, this is the cousin's name, Caleb, you know, I love you. I know we're family. But your behavior with up 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 you know, I can no longer tolerate or my friends, I'm here for you if you want to talk or if you need help, blah, blah, blah. but sometimes you just have to do that and then let it go because it's his responsibility. If she's taking care of the relationship, Caleb's sitting there able to say whatever he wants, do whatever he wants, hurting people, hurting her, and he still gets the relationship. Yeah. So that's why.
0: Yeah, to me, I, again, like I can appreciate the general value of, you know, I don't want to be too quick to dismiss people yeah, or I want to be, uh, you know, I want to make sure that there are places for people to go online or or where have you that are not just like a pipeline to the far right. But on the other hand, it feels a little bit in this letter like there's almost nothing that he could do short of pretty intense violence that would feel like an appropriate reason to either minimize or cut conversations or, like, set a boundary that takes Caleb, uh, that, like, holds him responsible for the things that he says and does, right? It's, like, the worse he behaves, the more important it becomes for the letter writer and also some of her friends to, like, be his last remaining lifeline to, like, a less extreme version of society. And so I just wonder, like, are you getting some of this messaging from, for example, your own family, where it's sort of, like, the worst Caleb acts the more important it is to say, hey, he he suffers from anxiety and he hasn't been able to hold down a job. So the answer is more compassion, more understanding, more patience, such that he never gets a limit set with him. And that doesn't mean that you then have to like switch in the other direction and like read him the riot act or tell him how to live his life. Just that I think whether he's your cousin or not anybody who does these things at a certain point probably does need to hear, you need to stop saying these things to me. And if you don't, I'm going to stop talking to you. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that's a pretty good way to deal with somebody who says things that hurt you repeatedly. So I'm sorry he has panic and anxiety disorders, and I'm sorry that he's had trouble finding work. I don't think that that means it's your job as his cousin to be in like a video game chat server with him for the rest of his life saying hey please stop telling sexist jokes for the Mm. 90th time like Mm. that's not a treatment for anxiety that's not going to help him get a job frankly it's not helping him right like you've been doing all these things and they haven't arrested the slide to the right so everything you've tried so far has failed so I, i think again there's that idea of therefore i need to try harder but it's like why would you try harder at something that's already not working
1: well, and doesn't it seem, uh, to your point, a, a little like this indulgence? I mean, I know that, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a mama. She's a teenager now. But I remember, you know, the idea of kids. And I, I know he's in his 30s, but. Um, Late 30s, almost acting, 40s. I know he's acting like one. Um, but, you know, boundaries and parameters that you set and expectations for behavior actually help people feel like they have walls to hang on to, like they have ground to stand on. And sometimes people need that in order for them to, you know, for someone to say, No, you can't do that to me. And then they can be confronted by it and they have to actually think about what they're doing. Sometimes it's, you know, yes, somebody tell me to stop. And and that is can be the most compassionate thing you do. And it's compassionate, of course, for yourself, because I I feel really bad for this woman and her friends having to deal with this behavior, but have some compassion for yourself and some you know idea of how you should be treated. put yeah. that into place and and make him see if he can step up to it if you start it, family ecosystems can change even if just one person makes a very big shift. if you start it at first, it may seem painful. you may get a lot of people in the family telling you how could you do this and say it blah blah, blah, blah. but you might see change happening, others will see change happening. Or at least he can get some help. But I'm totally with you. It's parameters and boundaries are very good, compassionate things.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also like if all your friends are already at this breaking point, you you can't force them to stay in some like group chat with this guy if they all want to leave. Like, no, you could maybe get them to say like, okay, we'll try again. But they will either eventually just leave or stop using it. And eventually, if you align yourself enough with Caleb, They're just going to go start another one without you either. Yeah. Uh, So I think, frankly, like, stop trying to hold the Discord chat together. If anything, I would say if it does feel like meaningful and important and you do have the bandwidth to do it, you know, you could spend a little bit of time with Caleb that's not online. Uh, It seems like living online is a big part of his problem. Um, I don't know if you're like physically close to him. And again, given some of the shit that he has expressed in the past. I don't necessarily want to suggest go spend a lot of one on one time with him, but frankly, even like a monthly phone call that requires using your voice and hearing somebody else to talk to one another rather than just like being a keyboard warrior and like trying to upset all of your friends um, would potentially at least make room for different kinds of conversations. And I think, again, like focusing on like we could talk about like plenty of stuff, but I'm not going to talk to you about like anything online. Um, Again, not in the interest of you're probably going to change his values, but just in the sense of that's, I think, where a lot of the problem stems. So, again, you don't have to do any of that if you feel like you absolutely do have to keep trying to be in some sort of contact with him. I would encourage you not to force other people to be buddies with him and not to do it online as often as possible, but also... I, to me, it's just like I see this. I see no sign that he is as interested in you as you are as of him. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem to care yeah. much about what's going on with you. It doesn't sound like he asks you questions. It doesn't sound like he's even willing to like scale back some of his like right wing paranoia. And so I just think this is a person who doesn't really care about you or your relationship. And I, I really don't think it's possible to have a relationship with someone who fundamentally doesn't care about your relationship in return.
1: Mm, Danny, I'm done with one way relationships. All of them. Family, friends, whatever.
0: No. <laughs> yeah. And I just, to me, it's like, no. I read this and I'm like, you know, I don't want to abandon him as my family member. Yeah. And it's like, hasn't he abandoned see, you? Yeah. It seems to me like he's spent the last like 30 some years abandoning you pretty like yeah. hard. Hard. And I just, I, to me again, I just see this and I'm like, what could he do that would Enable you to say, This is enough. Like it kind of just looks like he can act out as much as he wants. And that's just another reason for you to work harder at being a caretaker. And I, I just, to me, it feels like there's a lot of like sexist and gendered expectations in your family that maybe you have not yet yourself been able to kind of realize, like, whoa, I basically am in like some ways being positioned as this emotional caretaker where the more he acts like a big baby, the more it's my responsibility to take care of him. And it never goes the other way, and so I would just say, like, I I actually think that some of the problem here is thinking of him as being stolen away from a YouTube algorithm, Mm -hmm. as if he is a little—he's not Princess Peach in the Mario games. Like Bowser didn't come and steal (laughs) him away; Uh, he's Bowser, you know.
1: Exactly, but not as funny and
0: and, and without without as much like stuff. I guess Bowser technically has a job. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know if he has a job. I don't know. He like runs a bunch of like airships, so he's like technically like a race car driver, like in the in the air force or well, something. Well,
1: he 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 doesn't live at home with his parents and not not have a job.
0: Yeah, it's not an amazing amazing analogy. I'll admit that.
1: But I get the attitude. I get the yeah. attitude. And the thing is, I I I'm glomming onto her saying this thing that he's bright, creative, and funny. And I I just is keep he? Fa- well, she writes that, and I'm I'm fascinated by it because I'm like. You're like sister, tell me what like. How does bright, creative, and funny fall into all of this other stuff? Yeah, and maybe she's thinking about him when he was little, and it's a long time and it's ago kind now. of put it in amber. Yeah, right. We tend to do that sometimes. Think of our family members as they were when they were children, and then they grow up, and you're still thinking of them as who they were when they were a kid. Right. I'm or like so a great. man who's
0: behaving badly is potential for the rest of his life. Oh, like I feel Lord. like I could read this letter about a 90 year old guy and it's like, <laughs> but he has so much potential. And it's like, does he?
1: How many of or, these do you get? I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he? I'm or, sorry,
0: letter writer. I hope that wasn't too harsh. I don't want to make you feel like I, we think that you've been behaving foolishly. I just really think you've been trying to do way, way, way too much. And right now you think that the answer is do more. And I think it's do way less.
1: Yeah, big heart. You have a big heart. I totally understand that. And I, I I get it when you're the caretaker in the family, been there, done that. But you'll, your big heart will work really well if you get him to see that um, you deserve to be treated well,
0: as does everyone yeah.
1: else. And it may change
0: things. Yeah, and you don't need his participation or permission or cooperation to set those boundaries. You can just walk away.
1: Exactly.
0: It's a reasonable thing to walk away over. Mm-hmm. So on that note, I think we're ready for our second letter, and uh, if you would be so good as to read it, uh, I will be so good as to sit here and listen. I will do so.
1: Okay, so the subject here is worried about working. Letter writer says, I recently interviewed for a job I really wanted, working with a wedding vendor. I thought I did great and really seemed to vibe with the interviewer. The next day, I received an email from the interviewer that I did extremely well in the interview, but." they had a question about the mask I wore. I'm immunocompromised and wear a mask when I have cold symptoms, which is unfortunately somewhat often. They explained wearing a mask was a hindrance to lip-reading with guests and asked how often I wore it and if it was for a health issue or full-time. I'm honestly shocked it was brought up. Is this a red flag? Should I pursue this job if they hire, even though they asked a borderline illegal question? I've never encountered this before and am clueless. Oof. I feel for this person so much, Danny. Um, yeah. I'm a mask wearer. My daughter's immunocompromised. She's a mask wearer. I've gotten nasty comments, dirty looks. I feel so much for people who need to wear masks on the job um, because it's there's a lot, just a lot of bias and prejudice. I I'm looking, though... In this letter, there's a there's a hint, there's a clue, as I as as you do all the time, Danny. There's like this thing that it's, it's hanging on. The fact that they noted that it was a hindrance to lip reading, and asked if it was for a health issue, that is kind of this um, space of disability versus disability. So because, for example, long COVID falls under ADA now, American Disabilities Act. There is this okay. Well, if I need to wear it for work you could fall under ADA protection. But if they're already saying the requirement is for guests, wedding guests to read lips, which I have to really ask you, like, how often is that an issue? And is that something that can be managed? It seems like they're kind of getting ahead of that or they're trying to get ahead of that in terms of as an excuse uh, why to not give you this job, but also protect themselves legally. That's what it seems like.
0: Yeah. And I, I had a sense too. again, I, I, I am not a lawyer and never have been anything close to a lawyer. And so I I don't believe it is illegal to ask questions about masks. So I, I think if anything, it's an indicator that maybe in the future, it's better to lead with it. Like to say in advance, I'll be wearing to, uh, a mask to our interview. And I think just to say, I wear a mask if I have cold symptoms that might be potential, or even just like I'm higher risk and I prefer to at least front loads the question first so that you're the one bringing it up rather than feeling on the back foot. Obviously, there are also disadvantages to doing that. Um, So I don't want to say you must try that next, just that that might be one option in the future. I I was, I think, a little... To to me, this read more like the interviewer has some sort of, like, animus against mask wearing. Yeah. And and the sort of lip-reading thing felt to me like disingenuous just because it's like I, I feel like they would have mentioned if it was like this is a wedding vendor that like primarily works with like deaf and hard of hearing communities right. right which I don't want to say like oh gosh that would never exist of course that would exist or could exist I just feel like the letter writer would have mentioned that and again if that were the case then the letter writer would probably say like well we have other options don't we like using sign language for example or for keeping a lot of our communications in writing, or for having an interpreter along. There are absolutely like workarounds to one person wearing a mask. And again, I think lip reading isn't usually the primary mode of communication. So again, it feels a little bit to me like a sort of assumption of like, if we had deaf or hard of hearing clients, of course, they would all be relying primarily upon lip reading, which may actually not be true. Yeah. So, or that like lip reading is perfect and reliable at all times. Um, so again, I don't want to say definitively, it was kind of like they were looking for a gotcha, but it, it reads to me like, we don't like masks and we want to invoke another disability uh, in order to sort of like protect ourselves against any like pushback or to make ourselves feel better.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And and the thing is with um with ADA. So so my daughter falls under ADA protection with the mask. So uh, yes, it's it, it it is a legal thing. I mean, if if you need to wear the mask for your job, you could possibly you know make sure that that protection's in place. But to your point, it's the option of I've tried it both ways. I've tried this thing. So when I do speaking right around the country, if there's a surge um, like there is uh, now in the fall of twenty three, um, I will show up with a mask. Where in the past, I would say beforehand, oh, by the way, I'll be wearing a mask. I've never been discriminated against. But again, this isn't a job job. This is something else. This is like speaking. But I have to say that I have felt better just showing up with it and not making anyone feel uncomfortable ahead of time. It's this is me. I'm here to do this job and, and I'm going to get it done. And it's not part of the job. And and we'll all be good because this is it's not going away. This is the way you have to function. So I would say to the the letter writer, one of the things is it's a red flag in the sense that will your work life be pleasant working with and for somebody who's like that and who may continue to pressure you to take the mask off? Or would you rather go someplace where and can you go someplace where you will be accommodated and welcomed and it will just be seen as part of you? Um, and if you have the option to go someplace else, I know this person was like, I really, this is a job I really wanted. Um, maybe they can meet also some, someone else at the vendor. Like who will they be directly working with and, and talking with and such, but it's a sad situation that more and more people are going to have to deal with. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. And, and so I think, I think you can certainly take it as a flag. That's not to say, again, I don't know your situation. I don't want to say, like, you must turn down this job. Like, jobs are not always easy to come by. And also, they haven't offered it to you yet. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts. I would say one option that you might have here is just deciding this is an indicator that they are going to try to hassle me too much about this. I don't need this job right this second. I'm going to keep looking for another job that responds more, like, sanely to my wearing a mask in the interview. And then you might decide to like mention it either in advance of an interview or just like when you walk in right away, like, I hope you don't mind, I'm going to keep my mask on. And you can be as general or specific as you like. You can say, I live with someone high risk or I myself am high risk, or you don't even have to say that, just I'm going to leave my mask on. Or you could potentially like write back to this employer and say, I'm wondering, can you tell me how often, you know, lip reading is part of how you communicate with guests? Uh, And If so, what other workarounds do you have? Because I have to imagine Mm -hmm. that there will also occasionally be uh, deaf or hard of hearing clients who might also wear a mask. So the the issue would not simply go away. right? That's why I think I felt like it was sort of disingenuous because it was sort of like treating deafness and hard of hearing like an UNO card where, okay, well, here's this here's this disability. What are you going to do now? This one trumps yours instead of just like you you can be both, uh, you know, COVID cautious and or high risk and or deaf and hard of hearing. Um, And so the issue would still come up. So you can kind of uno that card and and not to say that you should say it in a really like provocative way, but just sort of (laughs) like, you know, I can imagine this, this, and this is potential workarounds. Um, What have you tried in the past? And just like, don't, yeah, don't see the argument. Don't concede the point that nobody, deaf or hard of hearing, would ever themselves wear a mask or expect someone else to wear a mask. Because again, like, You could also like look this up like the last three years, deaf and hard of hearing people have also been going through a pandemic and dealing with both wearing masks themselves and seeing other people wear masks. I bet they've come up with some tools and tricks and workarounds. Oh, have you seen the clear the clear face masks? I have occasionally seen like big clear visors. Yeah, no, I haven't seen specifically over the ear ones.
1: Specifically over the ear for, for deaf and hard of hearing for lip reading. Um, over the year, I I somehow now, of course, I am like a, a professor of masks because I just I know way too much about masks, but the they do. They have a clear face so that they can lip read. And I have to say too though, there's also a great advantage, you know, put my salesperson hat on. If I was like selling myself for a job I really wanted and they were just like thinking, oh, mask bad, mask bad. Do you know how many people I, I, I get probably for every one nasty look or comment when I'm wearing a mask, I get like three or four or five people saying, oh, I'm so glad you're wearing one. Oh, Oh, that's so good you're wearing one. You know what? I'm going to start wearing mine too. Let me put mine on. Or that's really good. And da-da-da. I think the, the voices that are very loud about not liking masks are very loud. But the amount of people that are just like, cool, good for you, good thing to do, appreciate it. You know, and also while you walk away, they might be like, you know what? I'm glad because what if they're sick? Yeah. You know, they're taking care of themselves and taking care of me. So let's, to me, it's a big plus if I was hiring and I was a wedding vendor and I had one or two people that were like walking around with masks on, go, good.
0: Yeah. Looks good for you. Only thing I would add to that is the letter writer mentioned, um, I wear a mask whenever I have cold symptoms. Yeah. Again, I don't know what that looks like for the letter writer. It could be anything from like uh, a mildly sore throat to I have a fever and I'm coughing. So again, I'm going to like... Benefit of the doubt, it does not sound like this letter writer went to an interview like incredibly ill. No. But I also wouldn't disclose to anyone I'm wearing a mask right now because I have cold symptoms. Because then that bites the question of like, well, why aren't you at ho-? Like, are you too sick to interview? And so, again, I don't want to assume that you were like truly sick so much as just like I have an Im- immune system that means sometimes these symptoms pop up without my actually getting all the way sick, but I also don't want to explain to people like in between coughs, like I just have like this issue. I'm not truly sick. Again, it does not seem to me like the letter writer was like doing the like Michael Jordan playing the basketball with the flu thing. But uh, yeah,
1: neither, no, lead with just immunocompromised. Just don't share that you had yeah. cold
0: symptoms. <laughs> lead with
1: immunocompromised. <laughs>
0: That's
1: what I yeah. say. Because it's true.
0: Yeah. And if anybody else has some experience specifically with like navigating job interviews with with um, masks on, feel free to write in. Let us know. Um. And and good luck. I think it sounds like you might be in a position to turn this one down if you feel uncomfortable. I would say, depending on how they react to your response, you might decide this is not the place for you. Um. It does seem like so often wedding vendors are at the forefront of certain like especially like gay civil rights uh, like legislation, it often just feels like, wow, like wedding vendors are just the number one front line of just like hot button social issues. Oh
1: yeah, the cake yeah, doing the cake will I do the cake or not? you know that sort of it's for sure it's it's a very interesting position to be in in society. It's almost like you your job is is literally and out, catering to a changing, world and changing relationships and all of that. So you're in it. You're in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It just like invites controversy. It often seems to make people feel like they're being asked to like give a stamp of approval to somebody else's life or to sort of get into personal or private things because of the nature of a wedding, even though they're also at work. And also, if I were to be slightly judgmental, I imagine sometimes people who love weddings have a flair for the dramatic. Um, uh-huh. and so people <laughs> who are interested in that industry, oh, uh, are man. perhaps people who go big sometimes. Hey,
1: listen, I was just married a few times. It doesn't mean that I was interested in all this. <laughs> it doesn't mean... It's, it's a whole nother, I had to explain myself to somebody this morning. I had a wonderful brunch and, and she teased me and she was like, Oh, you like to give no, it's, it was, it was a search for family. Trust me when I tell you, it's not the wedding part I was attracted to, but for some people, if you're in the wedding business, this is yeah, a, sorry,
0: that's what I meant. I wasn't saying that like people get married. Well, no, I'm joking. If you get married I'm joking. Five times you probably do like a little drama. Uh, I've you know, been married uh, a night nice restrained two times.
1: Oh, okay. Same, same you know. married, divorced two times, engaged once.
0: There you go. First time was only for nine days because it was a joke in college. Um, what, but like, what is that if not a flare? Nine for the dramatic
1: days?
0: That beats my starter marriage of six months in my 20s. Well. Nine days and six months, because when we filed for divorce uh, outside of a Starbucks in San Bernardino, uh, they told us we had to wait six months uh, as like a cooling off period to make sure we knew what we were doing, which I really wish they oh had done instead. God. When we got married, silently yes, right? hung hungover in a strip mall, oh my. <laughs> all of our all of our witnesses had just taken mushrooms and were beginning to oh, trip.
1: Oh wow. Oh, that is a that is like a scene. I can picture it right now. But yeah, to your point. Hi. How about that waiting period before instead of after? Meanwhile, I got my first divorce was when New York State still did not have no fault. Mm. And I had ah, to wait did you have to go to Reno? No, worse. I had to wait a year to even file for divorce. Wow. Mind you, this Ben had like knocked up his secretary. So let me tell you, that baby was on the out or on the way. I don't know. I didn't keep track. But we were living apart for a year before I could file for abandonment.
0: Wow. Oh, and that is remarkable. Awful.
1: It's awful. And
0: then thank God for no fault divorce. But anyway, that's... which is weird because like I feel like now you're starting to see rumblings about people wanting to like get rid of that. And it's like we barely just got it. Oh, we it barely. Just arrived. Look. I ain't that
1: old. And I can tell you, it's it was the saving grace and it is the saving grace and will save women's lives and children's lives. So yes, it needs to stay
0: for sure. And for, for whatever it's worth, as much as I enjoy joking about it, I don't actually believe that anyone should have stopped us from getting married as a joke. It was funny. Yeah. And the terror of being found out sharpened my wits. Yeah. So, you know, it was all good for me. Okay. And it worked out for him too. He's doing fine somewhere. He got real married later in life as well. So uh <laughs> It all, it all went well for us. James, wherever you are, I hope you're having a great day.
1: Uh, salut, James. Cheers.
0: Off that <laughs> note, we should probably move on. Although now I think I should just always save this time to talk to my guests about any uh, divorces or weird legal entanglements they've gotten <laughs> into. That's a really fun new section. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was recently really disappointed. I was researching a piece that I was doing about the Venetian tradition of, of marrying the sea. Um, and, like, in oh. the course of reading about it, I learned that it is actually a myth that sea captains can marry people. It's a myth? It's not true. I mean, you can, as a sea captain, go and get ordained if you want to, like anybody oh. else. But simply being the captain of a ship does not actually empower you to to marry anyone. Um, and, in fact, it was at one point such a widespread myth that the, like, naval code of conduct of 1911 mentions, like, hey, guys, stop asking. You oh can't do that. Oh, my this.
1: God. It's not allowed. First of all, Danny, your brain, you kept that date and that information in your
0: head. That's well, I amazing. Well, the piece just came out. Like, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You know. I, I 1911 listen. was the big Encyclopedia e- e- like Britannica year. What happened to the love boat? I bet he was just, you know, let's just assume he also got ordained. Wow. But also, if you're getting your, like, ideas about naval law from the love boat, you should probably double check that. Exactly. I think so, too because i don't even think you'd find it anywhere but
1: yeah no i grew up with that with that myth of course i mean it's a great myth I and mean, frankly it should be true i mean look it's fun it's fun i i have to tell you i i'm not so much interested of in in the institution um nomas but i feel that it's a peaceful place to be if you can get there it's not that i'm not the, like terribly still a romantic person it's just that um you know, you get old and I don't know. It's, you know, the, I'm going to be an empty nester. I got my, I've been living on my own for so long. I don't know. It's like kind of like cool it. to have your own places. Yeah,
0: I that's like just, it. I don't know. That's
1: just me just because I've been there a couple times. But I think that, of course, I think my dream had always been to have and build a very strong family. It mm-hmm. is very much about that. And to have that ride or die person and, you know. I, hey, look, it may take me to 88, but I'll, I'll get there.
0: Yeah. I'll get yeah. there. I like that. I like that a lot. I have one really quick final lightning round question, if you don't mind sticking around for that. And I don't really have a great answer to this so much as I want to free this letter writer from worrying too much about it. Okay. So okay. That's, my, that's my preamble. I'm on the lookout for non-gendered ways to refer to a single person casually. Okay, so you're not like knighting people. That aren't dependent on being able to remember people's names, genders, or pronouns, or use the singular they. This came up in a group of autistic slash ADHD people that I hang out with, where one person explained that he barely learns people's names and it's not realistic to remember pronouns. And with they, he can't help but get confused with whether singular or plural is meant every time. But that he would gladly have an alternative to assuming he or she, the person, every time is too formal for our context. Mm. Have you got any fun, usable suggestions we could adopt? No, I do not. That's too fucking hard.
1: Sorry, I just like
0: folks
1: y'all. You don't want
0: to remember people's names. You don't want to remember their gender. You don't want to remember their pronouns. You don't want to use the singular (laughs) they. And you want me to come up with something fun? Make up a
1: word, Danny. Make it up. No. Let's get this, this started. Guy, Let's make fetch happen. Like, I think this make guy is going
0: to have a slightly tough time referring to people. Yeah. And uh, I welcome him to try and find a solution for himself. But too often it's like, if we just come up with one more kind of like cutesy fun word, like the problem of like perceiving and discussing people is over. And it just, to me, it sounds like, well, this guy seems very picky. And I wish him the best in finding a solution, but I sure can't fucking think of one. It's, it, at this point, it's just like, I'd go back to names, frankly. One yeah. word to refer to each person, write them down if they're hard to remember.
1: Yeah. Oh, listen, I, I, I love when people are clarify how they like to be addressed. And even if I forget your name, I will remember how you go by gender. But even if it's not that obvious, but no, you need to do a little bit of work. Because the rest of us are all also trying to survive in this world. So um, it's it's not our job at this point. We're giving you all we
0: got. It's also a little bit like I could maybe come up with like a goofy sounding word for this guy, but I can guarantee you most people aren't going to suddenly be happy if this guy starts referring to them as like, oh, crimper," like that's my word for new people. <laughs> you know, like, no, I have a name. I have pronouns like you can use one or both of them or ask me my name. But I think the best solution is just. If he forgets people's names a lot, ask them to remind you of their names. But like, Say, do you hey, what I mean? hey like, kid, like I, I don't really <laughs> believe him when he says I barely learn people's names. It's not realistic for me to remember pronouns. They is too much for me. But if somebody else would just supply me with one word I could use to refer to everybody, then I'd be set. like, I don't know if that's Look, true, man. Beyond
1: human Folk. I get the idea, though. I get if if there's autism involved, I understand that that using they in your mind can be confusing, but it's that way of guess what? It can be hard for lots of people to change, make changes. Um, but it is one of those things that can be learned.
0: Yeah, so or like, I, yeah, to be clear, I don't want to be like this guy must be an asshole and I wish nothing but suffering for him. No, I, I don't. Uh, but I think like, yeah, you could describe the shirt that they're wearing. Or you could come up with a slightly convoluted way of describing them and hope that they don't find it offensive. Uh, but, you know, you're you're kind of going to have to find a different solution for different people. And I don't think the solution is like teach everyone about how people in Philadelphia say yins um, or oh, man. You know, make
1: right? y'all
0: spread across the country. Like it is difficult to refer to people if you say names and pronouns are out. And I don't think there's a way around that. Um, I think it's just going to be a little tricky. Not impossible. He can do it. But I think it sounds to me like he should try new things and see what he likes. I, I think that would be my best advice. Try a lot of different things and see what works.
1: How much trouble would he get into if he started going around just, just calling people by what they, what they look like? What he, hey, hey, blue shirt, big nose, big butt. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, no, you don't want to do that.
0: Well, I, you know, that's not my first advice. I think that's why I think names and pronouns are great. And if you forget someone's name or pronoun, just ask. That would be my best advice. Uh, But if he doesn't want to do that, he has a lot of other options that he can try and see if he likes them and see if other people likes them. But yeah, you know, you do get into murkier territory because describing people by their shirt is not necessarily going to immediately be painful, but it certainly doesn't make people feel uh, esteemed or valued. And describing their face, yeah, you're. It's a little bit like telling people what celebrity you think they look like. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You can get you can get in messy territory. Just it's
0: just... so different. It's like playing darts. It's like if you don't land right in the middle, mm. in the exact bullseye, you're gonna hurt someone's feelings. Either they think, well, this is too attractive. You're just trying to make me feel good, like a cow. You're trying to put down, or <sighs> you think I look like Jesse Plemons. I said to my wife several years ago when she said she thought I looked like Jesse Plemons, who's a very nice looking man, but not who I think I look like.
1: I think Jesse Plemons is the bomb. I agree. I think he's attractive, but
0: I don't think I look like him. So it's like.
1: No, I witnessed this yesterday. I went to go get, went to a tailor, and the woman was, she was striking and beautiful woman. And the woman at the front desk said to her, You know what you look like? You look like Emma Thompson. uh -uh. Uh -uh. And let me tell you, this woman turned. And was like, you know, yes, I get that a lot, but I don't know why, because there's nothing in the face.
0: (laughs) And I was like, this woman is pissed. You have wounded her deeply. And she hates you now. It's hard. It's genuinely hard. Yeah, I think there's a reason that as most societies land on names and pronouns, sometimes we squabble about how many pronouns there should be. But I think as a general category of reference, Names and pronouns are hard to beat.
1: Wait, can I tell you mine?
0: Yes, of course.
1: I get if Maya Rudolph and Eva Longoria had a baby.
0: That is so specific.
1: I know. And it was from a from a, a makeup artist on a show I was doing. And I was like, that is very specific. But yeah.
0: They're just trying to say you have big eyes, <laughs> big doe eyes. No, I'm That's, goofy.
1: That's what she was trying to say, that like I'm goofy like Maya Rudolph. So I was like, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take get- it.
0: I mean, but again, it just gets worse. If somebody says you look like such and such person and then they start to tell you why, again, if it was like, yes, this is exactly who I was hoping you would say that I looked like, this is what I want. Please continue to describe the similarities. Great, like, that's wonderful. But if it's even a little bit off, even if it's just like five degrees off the mark, once they start listing the features they think you two have in common, it's just like, and I hate you more, and I hate you more, oh and my I hate you gosh. more. And now I'm going to like, Puncture all the wheels on your car. Oh,
1: my gosh. Don't take it so personally. If, have you ever used the face filters? Uh, I take
0: everything personally.
1: Oh, uh, unlike TikTok, they have these, these face filters and like, who do you look like? Or who, I who created you as a baby? I um, don't,
0: but I remember, remember that old game, Guess Who? Yes. Where there were 24 faces on the front. Yes. Um, All of which were white, at least when I played it as a child. So, no, that's not true. Anna. Uh, Anna was a black woman. Okay. Uh, but but everybody else uh, was white, and that was that was my TikTok filter as a child. Was oh like. my gosh! And you know, like you know, ninety percent of them were guys. Three of them are women, and mm-hmm. there's like two beautiful young women and one very old lady. So you have almost no options if you want someone to compliment <laughs> you, um, <laughs> and it's just a great way to get your feelings hurt.
1: No, let's not do that.
0: No, but let's now I am looking at Maria from Guess Who with the green beret, and she was she was so beautiful. Oh. Probably had a crush on her. She was like the Miss Scarlet of of Clue. All right, we've we've really gone off the 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 band here. <laughs> I don't usually read a question and then say I'm not going to help you. Uh, and so, letter writer, I realized you were just like passing on a request from a buddy. Um, and and I came down pretty hard. Uh, I really do wish him and you all the best. And I encourage him to try things. And it sounds like this is a pretty like sorry to say that phrase, but like safe space to like try things mm-hmm. out. So at least there's a chance of like, you're not going to necessarily use this on the general public. He's trying to do a little A-B testing within the group Mm -hmm. of referring to other people. Um, And again, I still am just not going to give you a fun code word, but uh, the person who last spoke or, I mean, again, it just, it sounds like dehumanizing because it just kind of is like the person who last said something to me. That's the danger,
1: right? It becomes dehumanizing. I don't want to be referred
0: that way. I don't want to feel like I'm that forgettable.
1: Yeah, and it's funny thing in is, is in Spanish, is I was going to recommend the Spanish word that, um, which I always like is like "tipo," "tipo" like type. "Tipo," that guy, like you know that, but it, but that's also gendered. "Tipo," like it's guy, girl, you know. So it's just incredibly hard. But you can always yeah. take like a word and just yeah. How about yeah names?
0: I'm yeah, with you, Dani. Like, I can't help. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I think there's a reason people like to have names. You know, um, I would feel weird if someone never referred to me by my name and was just always describing my outfits and or face so strange Um, so on that note Carmen it's been a joy thank you for being the person who most recently talked to me
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much thank you so much for having me
0: always love being with you that's it for us this week thank you so much and see you back here next week Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form. Or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Most godparents don't do much. I, I don't want to speak like universally and in all cultures and all times. But like, in you know, in, in this country, most godparents, it's not like... You're, you're like someone's patron, you know, you're not like raising up a child in a certain like craft or like, oh, she's apprenticing with me for the next nine years. Or like, you know, we have a standing date every Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday to talk about like our our shared faith and like plans for the future. It just sort of means like you show up for a handful of childhood rituals. They sometimes see you at birthdays. And then eventually it's like, oh, yeah, I guess she was my godmother. And like, of course, you can be closer if you want. I don't mean to say that. Just like you are hardly the only person in the country who is like, oh, yeah, I'm like a godmother. But like, I don't, you know, we're not that close. It was just sort of like an idea. Like, you are got to guarantee you and the kid are going to be besties. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.